This episode of Movers, Shakers, and History Makers is brought to you by Ace Beer Growlers, your one-stop shop for beer, wine, Traeger grills, and all your grilling and smoking essentials. Mention promo code PODCAST, get $5 off any purchase of $50 or more in the store. You can visit them at their location on West Court Square in downtown Noonan, directly next to Piedmont Noonan Gym. Hello again and welcome to Movers, Shakers, and History Makers. It's a show dedicated to all things interesting happening in your neck of the woods, especially if your neck of the woods consists of living in Coweta County. It's a place for showcasing stories and newsmakers from the past and present, and I'm your host, Clay Neely. And in this episode, we get another round of Gandy Glover stories from our good friend, Frank Barron. Now, in our first episode, Frank painted a pretty vivid picture of what a friendship with Gandy was like, so if you missed that, you might want to backtrack to learn the basics about Mr. Gandy Glover. A top-performing real estate agent and two-term mayor of Noonan, many remember Gandy as an avid outdoorsman who eventually found his way down to the Florida Keys to try his hand as a fishing guide before his untimely passing in 2011. Now, along with Frank, we've also talked to several other friends of Gandy, including Dr. Joel Richardson and Warren Budd, and both will be appearing in some future episodes. So here's another round of Gandy Tales from Mr. Frank Barron. I was hoping that we hadn't got much negative. You hadn't had much, you said. Not a lick. Not a lick, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think anybody, family or otherwise, knows that that's who he well, was and I mean, all that stuff is true. Yeah. I mean, everything that I was there is absolutely the truth because I was there and saw it. Yeah. And then some of the things he told me about, and I don't know whether they're true or not, but I believe they are because <laughs> I don't think he would have told me. I mean, <laughs> some of those things you wouldn't have told. If you <laughs> well, I mean, when you're Danny Glover, you don't have to make up stories. No, that's right. <laughs> Just true life. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, um, I appreciate you coming back. This yes, is, sir. This is fantastic. Um, well, By the way, Glenn Flake saw me at Kiwanis and said he's yeah. got about four or five stories he, he could That's tell you, right, if, Glenn? you wanna, yeah, if you okay. want to talk to Glenn. He's got some, too. Right. In fact, he told me one to tell you, and I, I, I can, but okay. you, know, you may want to get his version. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> cool. Well, uh, well, yeah, I mean, we, we, we hit it on a good one uh, last time, and since then I've, I've talked to a couple of other people, and it's I think the overwhelming response has been positive about it. So That's good. I think, I think you talked to Warren and to Joel Richardson. Yes, sir. And both of those mm-hmm. were good, I guess. Yeah, positive. yeah absolutely. That's good. Uh, so, yeah, I appreciate you coming back. Yes, sir. Uh, well, what do you got for us today? Well, uh, just a couple other stories that I thought about that we hadn't talked about before that I thought might be of interest to you, and um, some of them we may have to, and I guess you can add out names if we need to. Sure. Oh, yeah, no problem. You want me to use the names or just say somebody? <laughs> we can always bleep in somebody. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a couple of funny stories about one of Gandy's neighbors. Um, and I just think I'll just call him a neighbor because he work. may still have family here or whatever. <laughs> but anyway... Um, Gandy had a neighbor that was sort of elderly, but a uh, really nice guy and everything. And um, Gandy was going to carry uh, the celebrity from Atlanta. We won't name him either, but uh, going to carry him fishing. And uh, this neighbor found out about it and said he wanted to go with him. And uh, Gandy said, oh, you don't want to do that. He said, yeah, yeah, I want to I have a chance to meet him. He said, I'd like to go fishing with you. So Gandy decided to play a joke on this neighbor and he told him, he said, now, it's like July. He says, now, it's real cold in that river. You, you'd be surprised. said, you need to wear a heavy coat. said, I want you to put a hat on. said, I want you to have your life preserver on. 
have a five-gallon bucket and your fishing rod and all that ready, and you'd be standing on the corner, and when we come by, we'll stop and pick you up. So here's this guy standing out there in the July with a heavy coat on, coat, life preserver, fishing rod, and five-gallon bucket standing there waiting on the corner. And Gandy happens to tell this celebrity that there's a retarded guy that wanted to go fishing with us. So he said, he'll be standing on the corner down here and said, we're going to pick him up. Said, just be nice to him. Don't, you know, don't say anything about it. But, yeah. you know, he he does have mental issues and uh, we're just trying to do something to be nice to him and that sort of thing. So anyway, they go and fish and everything. Gandy never lets on, uh, the celebrity never lets on uh, that anything's been said about that. But uh, anyway, they get back and it was a good trip and everything. But uh, the the neighbor found out. I guess Gandy told somebody else what he had done. Oh my God! The neighbor found out what Gandy had told the guy, and here's this guy that wanted to meet this guy to you know get to know him and be impressed and all of that. And, and Gandy's told him that he's retarded. Yeah. So the guy gets really upset. And of course, I think Gandy had done some other things in the past yeah. too that had kind of gotten the guy's temper up. But anyway, we talked about a fist fight on the court square. Well, this yeah. was another uh, uh, showdown uh, at Redneck. And they had agreed to meet at 12 o'clock noon, and Gandy and this guy were going to have a fist fight. Well, Gandy comes into my office and says, I'm fixing to go up to Redneck, and I'm going to have a fist fight with this person. And so uh, I said, well, Gandy, you can't do that. He said, what do you mean I can't do that? I said, you just don't need to do that. I said, you don't need to go up there and fight with him. And he said, why not? And I said, well, think about it, Gandy. I said, this guy is 70-plus years old, and he's got cancer. He's going undergoing treatment and everything else. I said, if you whip him, what you've done is whipped a 70-year-old guy with cancer. If he whips you, a 70-year-old guy with cancer whips you. So I said, this is a no-win situation. Yeah. He said, well, what must I do? And I said, well, the only thing you can do is go meet with him and just tell him that you don't want to fight with him, that y'all been friends all these years, and that you're sorry for whatever it is you've done, and let's be friends and let's don't fight. Yeah. So that's what Gandy did. He went up there and did that, and they didn't have the fight. So oh, wow. that was one time that it was put off and, uh, and saved, but... Gandy, uh, you know, fully thought that he was going to go up and whip this guy. And the more he thought about it, he realized that that wouldn't have been a very smart thing to do. Well, well that's a pretty good counsel on your part. <laughs> well, it just so happened that it worked out. Um, some of these stories, I can't remember whether I told you about them or not. But um, he came into my office one day and um, said, come on and go with me. Did I tell you about the one where... We, we, and I said, no, Gandy, I ain't got time to go. He said, oh, come on, I want you to come look at this house with me. So I said, oh, okay, I'll go. So I get in the car with him. He pulls down on Wesley Street, and we pull up in this lady's yard, and he jumps out of the car and grabs a shotgun and just starts shooting everywhere, right here on Wesley Street. Boom, 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 boom. All these squirrels are falling out of the trees and everything. And I see the front door open, and I see this elderly lady coming to the door, and I think, oh, Lord, we're fixing to get cussed out. We're fixing to get thrown in jail. <laughs> you know, I just didn't know what bad was going to happen. And she opens the door and, and yells out, thank God you're here. <laughs> she had a squirrel infestation that asked Andy to come over there and shoot the squirrels. And so Andy was going over there to shoot the squirrels. And so he did, and he went back several times, and I think pretty well eliminated the, the, the squirrel problem for for her, uh, the lady. And uh, so it ended up being a good thing. But all the neighbors around there were opening up their windows and doors, and everybody was wondering what was going on. Yeah. And Gandy was over there. On uh, official business. On official business, yeah. <laughs> killing the squirrels. So uh, I thought that was a little unusual. For Gandy, it was normal. So uh, that's another thing that he did. Another thing he did is he had a big oak tree right out of his back door. He had a screen porch on the back of his house there mm-hmm. at Temple Avenue. And uh, he uh, 
uh, started shooting squirrels out of that tree. He'd get up every morning. The first thing he'd do is go out there and shoot the squirrels out of the tree. And he started keeping a chart of how many of them he had killed. And I remember it being in the hundreds, literally. This is right on Temple Avenue. He'd killed over 100 squirrels out of the same oak tree. And you just wonder where all these squirrels came from. But evidently, there was an infinite supply of squirrels. Yeah. They're just coming back the next morning. There's more there for him to shoot. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So it was a never-ending thing with him about that. Uh, shooting the squirrels well with something like that i mean obviously he's done it many times in the city oh yeah never once they're as like could as you I maybe know, knock off not yeah, firing as far as in the i city? know nobody said anything i think everybody just said well that's just gandy you know if it was anyone else we might have a problem but we're just gonna let this <laughs> yeah, pick your battles I that's guess. right okay <laughs> exactly i get it another thing he had uh chickens in in his backyard and the city did get on him about that because it was a non-conforming. You weren't supposed to have chickens inside the city limits, and mm-hmm. he had a bunch of them in there. But anyway, he was able to figure out some way to get around that too, so he was able to keep his chickens. But I do think he had to go before uh, the board hearing or something mm-hmm. uh, because he was in violation of having the chickens inside the uh, city limits. But it didn't stop him. He, he ended up being able to keep them. Um, Another one that I don't know whether I've told you about or not is about the 40-shot deer hunt. Did I tell you about that one? No, sir. Okay. Uh, I woke up one morning, and Don Morris was calling me on the phone, and he says, you've got to do something about him. I said, what are you talking about, Don? He said, you've got to do something about him. you just got to. And I said, what, what are you talking about? He said, Gandy Glover said, I was back there deer hunting at the back of Blaylocks this morning, and he shot 40 times at deer. I said, surely he didn't shoot 40 times. He said, yeah, he did. He shot 40 times. I said, how in the world does somebody shoot 40 times deer hunting? He said, I don't know, but he did it. So I called up Gandy, and Gandy says, wait a minute. Uh, his brother Peter was with me. He said, Peter, how many times did you shoot this morning? He said, I shot eight. And he said, let me count them in. I said, I think I shot 28. Uh, eight and 28, that's not 40, is it? And I said, no, that's 36. He said, well, call Don back and tell him I didn't shoot 40 times. I didn't shoot but 36. <laughs> So, just stuff like that all the time. Where was that? That was at the Blaylocks. Blaylock? That land that we had yeah. that backed up to Blaylocks on the power line yeah. back there. And uh, he had a stand that uh, when he was a uh, mayor, uh, he had, uh, I think, the uh, water and light of somebody to build made out of telephone poles. And it was about 30 feet in the air. Wow. I mean, this was a huge uh, stand. Not only that, he got John Christopher and them to go out there and mark off every 100 yards so he knew exactly how far the distance was. Okay. And he bought a 300 Magnum rifle and would sit there, and he could tell, you know, with the wind and the drop and everything, how far up he had to raise the shot to be able for it to hit the deer out there at 500 yards or whatever the distance was. So wow. he became a great long-range shooter and uh, used that stand. He had a rest and everything up there. And, uh, he was phenomenal, and that's why he was shooting 40 times. He was shooting at deer 500, 600, anything that crossed the power line, he was shooting at them. Oh, so, wow. Uh, that, you know, you think 40 times is impossible, but uh, I believe I believe he did it. You at know? that so range, yeah. It's, it's just unreal. That's incredible. Uh, he also uh, used to carry uh, people with him and even children, and he had a pulley set up on the side of the deer stand, and so they they couldn't climb the ladder, so he'd wrap a rope around them and pull them up to the top of the deer stand with the pulley, and of course, uh, parents of the children were just scared to death. Well, of, 30 feet. <laughs> <laughs> but he thought that was normal, too. Um, Gandy also was, um, you know, when he was single, he was quite a ladies' man, or at least he thought he was and pretty much was. But anyway, he had a no-culls policy. In other words, he'd go out with anybody. And um, he was uh, dating, of course, when he was single, and 
Um, I remember one time he told me about a story where he uh, was out with this real nice couple from Atlanta, and um, uh, they were looking at houses and everything, and he had to slam on brakes, and when he did, uh, a, a can of foam rolled out from under the seat. So <laughs> this foam <laughs> is laying there, and the little boy in the back seat and the mother in the back seat and the daddy was in the front seat, and the little boy was looking at that can and he started reaching for it, and the mother hollered out, Don't touch it! <laughs> so, so about that time, Gandy realized what was going on. But anyway, they didn't touch it, but they didn't call him back either. <laughs> so he lost a client, I think, over that. But it didn't bother him. He, he thought that was funny. Uh, uh, also, uh, Gandy got to, with another uh, realtor in town, Got to where he was going up to Nashville a lot, uh, up there to the country music scene and, and that sort of thing. Huh. And um, they would go to these bars and things like that up there, and they'd, they'd find these girls, and um, then they'd get in a fight on each other over which one was going to get the ugly one. They wanted the ugly girl. They didn't want the pretty one. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they'd get in a fight over who was going to take which one. But uh, that there were some comical stories about that. And I think... Um, uh, Glenn Flake uh, reminded me about a, a, a time that when uh, I think Gandy and uh, Glenn were both on the board at the chamber and they decided to take um, uh, a, a trip, chamber trip, uh, to Cancun. And so they go down to Cancun, and of course, Gandy's, you know, just into everything. And they run across this guy that was selling knockoff Rolex watches like fifty dollars mm-hmm. and so like gandy bought about six or eight of them he, glenn said his arms were just lined with rolex watches <laughs> when he was coming back through customs and he also found about a three foot long machete and uh, oh, he taped wow. that machete to his leg so he's coming through customs and glenn decides that he's going to get way away from gandy he's not going to be anywhere near gandy yeah, and gandy comes smart. through yeah customers all those rolex watches <laughs> on his sleeves and three foot them machete. three foot machete because <laughs> this is back in the 90s before you had all the security yeah, and everything yeah. But still, they do have Border Patrol and that sort of thing. So when he's coming back, they're coming back into the country with all these things he'd bought and coming through the customs lines and everything. And like I said, Glenn was just scared to death. He'd drop back further so he wouldn't be anywhere near Gandy. And Gandy's just walking through like everything's fine. And so about that time, one of the customers looks up, Gandy Glover, how are you? <laughs> the guy was from Newton, Georgia, is a custom troll. Didn't check him, didn't do anything, just let him walk right oh on through. Oh, my gosh. So just kind of Glover luck. I yeah, mean, they used yeah. to everybody talk about the Glover luck. Well, that was it right there. He, <laughs> he walked through customs with a three-foot-long machete and uh, two arms full of Rolex knockoff watches, and nobody said a word. <laughs> so, I mean, he just, just that type, just everything just seemed wow. to fall in place yeah, for him most of the time. I guess so. He's just lucky. That's incredible. <laughs> well, uh, what got him going to Nashville? Yeah, uh, they went up there for the country music scene. You know, that was the time that the country music was really becoming big and everything, and a lot of a lot of in people going to yeah. Nashville and that sort of thing, and uh, one of them got to be involved in the country music uh, scene, not Gandy. Gandy couldn't sing a lick, but uh, the other one could sing. Yeah. And uh, he started doing, uh, you know, doing songs and things with some of the people up there. And they'd go to a club called Tootsie's Lounge, I think was the name of the lounge that they used to go to. Uh, Orchid Lounge, Tootsie's Orchid Lounge, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's still there. But anyway, uh, they started, that's where they went, and it was like a bar, and that's where they'd hang out most of the time yeah. while, they, while they were up there. Wow, that's but, fascinating. Uh, yeah. Man, 
And uh, so, any other? I, I guess I'll talk to Glenn about the trip to Cancun. But I'm yeah, sure find that out was some more from holy him. moly. Yeah, so that had to be exciting coming to there. <laughs> I'll tell you one personal experience I had is when they first started doing uh, screening through the airport. Uh, you know, they just had started it, and it wasn't a big thing at that time, but they were trying to crack down because at one time you could go through the airport and, you know, you could even have other people's tickets, and they swapped tickets, and it didn't matter yeah. and all that sort of thing. But as security got stronger, of course, all those things were out loud. But uh, we get on this plane. We're sitting there on the plane, and he pulls out his bag, carry-on bag, and he's got a dock kit in. He opens up the dock kit, and I look in there, and there's a pistol in this loaded pistol in this dock kit and then he says i knew the security wasn't worth the flip said look at here and i said gandy glover shut that thing up and do not open if anybody comes over here i don't know who you are right you know we'd both be going to jail yeah you know but that's just what he was he just wanted to test the system to see if he could get through and there he was and he said not only that he had a fiberglass knife in his shoe and both of those he went through with a fiberglass knife and with that pistol in his dock kit and in those days that just shows he was right security wasn't as oh good, yeah as good as it is now what? and that was just the initial stages of it <laughs> but you know i know for a fact because i was sitting next to him on that one and scared me to death i just knew we we're both gonna go to jail on that <laughs> well but, with that fist fight at redneck i mean how many times did you kind of have to <laughs> talk him well, out of bad well, decisions i think that's why he ended up uh calling himself frank Barron uh was because i'd get him out of all kind of messes all the time so just cut out the middleman yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh chip had to do the same thing uh gandy would you know get in a mess anytime gandy was going out of town chip and i'd say uh-oh what's fixing to hit the fan oh yeah we knew something was bad if he was leaving town so <laughs> He would end up having to catch it. But saying that, Gandy was a great salesman. He could sell anything. Yeah. Uh, he could sell ice to Eskimos. He was, he was just a really terrific salesman. But he didn't handle details too well. So a lot of times we ended up having to uh, the, catch the, up. Yeah, and the small stuff. Clean up the stuff on. Yeah. But uh, still, he was in, over it all. He was a, a really good um, agent. Uh, he did have a problem though with memory, and I think we talked about this some before. But he called a lot of different people not uh, nicknames. He couldn't oh. remember people's names. And um, I know we had one agent that he called Floppy Ears, you know. <laughs> he, he could never remember his name. Another young girl, uh, really uh, pretty girl, he, he called her Fluffy. Uh, he called uh, my secretary, uh, main secretary, Diane Farrell, uh, typewriter girl. He couldn't remember her name, so she was typewriter girl. And when she went to get a hysterectomy, he can't, we went around telling everybody, she's had all her meanness cut out of her. I mean, that's kind of... <laughs> kind of stuff i mean he just uh, you know just off the wall just you know something crazy going on all the time but uh he, he also called had names for other people like uh warren bud he called watermelon head and his son candler he called cantaloupe uh and i don't know all the other nicknames he had for people i know warren bud had a nickname for him he called him wormy all the time because again he was always skinny and everything so uh, warren called him wormy but uh, he had names for everybody. Another secretary that was uh, named Debbie, she, he called her Deborah all yeah. the time. So just things like that. He just, uh, like I say, I think he enjoyed picking at people, and yeah. that was part of it. And he covered up his uh, lack of memory by calling people nicknames. Yeah. Hey, we're going to take a quick break to bring you a word from our sponsor. Hey, folks, Ace Beer Growlers is Coweta's most extensive dealer for Traeger Wood Fire Grills. Now, if you'd rather spend more of your time with your family instead of over the grill, you need to take advantage of that wood fire technology from Traeger today. It's as easy as set it and forget it. Be sure to mention promo code podcast and get $5 off any purchase over $50 in the store. 
And now back to our podcast. Well, uh, one thing Dr. Jola talked about was he only went hunting with them, I think, twice. Yeah. And said, a man in my profession, I cannot afford to go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> said, there's just certain things, I, you know, and he's like, well, no, this isn't, this isn't going to work for me. But uh, I think, I think Warren went hunt with him quite a few times and right. stuff like that. So uh, I don't know. I mean, what are some of your most memorable stories with him going hunting? Well, we had so many good times hunting. Like I told you, I think before, we, we went hunting just about every oh, yeah. day during duck season. We had a lot of different places to go and both of us loved it. So we went different places duck hunting all the time. And one of the stories that I remember was we had gotten permission from George Craft. I happened to rent an apartment to the guy that was in charge of, uh, of the, all the land for George Craft and uh, hit it off with him, and he gave us permission to go to all their land. Well, one of the places that they gave us permission to hunt, which is now the um, McIntosh Reserve on the other side of the river in Carrollton, well, there was a big beaver pond on the river over there, and the guy told me he, they'd been cruising that timber, and he was telling me he saw a lot of ducks over there. So, of course, Gandy and I had to go. So we went over there one morning in the dark and found this beaver's pond, and we got all set up, and there was one little alder bush out in the middle of the beaver dam, and that was the only cover anywhere around. Everywhere else was water, and there's nothing. So me and Gandy and his dog named Pride crawled up under that one little alder bush and sat there. Well, the ducks just poured in there, and we had a terrific hunt, and we started picking them up when it got you know a uh, little bit lighter uh, during the day. And everywhere we looked to get ducks, there was wires running everywhere. And we thought, what in the world are these wires? Finally, we realized they had the beaver dam set up to blow up with dynamite. Those were wires running to dynamite to blow up that beaver dam because, of course, timber people don't want beaver dams no, to flood their timber. Yeah. They, and that's why there were no trees around. The water killed all the, all the timber. So they were going to blow up that dam. Well, my friend that took, gave us missions didn't tell us anything about that, but we don't know when they were going to set it off. But needless <laughs> to say, we gathered up our belongings and got out of there when we realized that that was wire for dynamite to dynamite that dam. But that was one of the more exciting Holy things that, that we had. But there was stuff like that yeah. all the time that, you know, things happened. But um, uh, he would um, he was just insatiable about, you know, trying to do the most and do the most outlandish things yeah. and all those sort of things. He was just an absolute character. Well, what was the story with his his possum tooth? Well, he kept a possum coot because uh, he liked to catch possums. And uh, one of the agents was telling me uh, the other day that he surprised him when he first came to work. He and Gandy were out uh, looking at some property, and a possum ran across the road. And Gandy slams on brakes and jumps out of the car and leaves the door open, runs out chasing after that possum and runs him down and grabs him by the tail and brings him back and throws him in a sack and throws him in the back seat. And the guy said, you know, I'd never seen anybody catch a possum before, so he was, <laughs> yeah. he was just totally surprised. And what Gandy would do is he'd try to keep those things in a coop where he could feed them out. If you catch them, you got to get all the the, mm -hmm. the wild things, the uh, dead animals and all those things that possums eat. Yep. It's just not really healthy to be eating after a possum is eating all that stuff. So they'd try to keep them for about two or three weeks and feed them cornbread and sweet potatoes mm -hmm. and all those sort of things to what they call clean them out. And yep. Gandy loved to do that. In fact, he won a, a cooking contest one time uh, on a possum, and he had it on a silver plate and had all the garnishments on it and everything and uh, served that uh, possum. And I think he won just best display i don't think anybody ate it so they didn't know what it tasted like but they gave him best display because he had the possum cooked yeah. on a silver tray with all the uh, sweet potatoes and uh, all the different uh, celery and all those things around it and everything it just looked really 
pretty, but it was unusual to see a cooked possum, the whole head and everything still on there. The head know? was still on it? It's still on there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Man, and did he have a tooth? He had. He actually had uh, a tooth. I think Pat Yancey is the one that actually engraved. Uh, it's like they do ivory. Uh, yeah. You know, they engraved that possum uh, on his tooth, and he loved to pull up his lip and show the people he had a possum on one of his teeth, though. I assume in his grave there's a tooth that's marked with a possum on it. Oh, my god! <laughs> Scrimshaw. Yeah. I think that's what they call it. Scrimshaw. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I know he, from talking to other people about his house, he loved his house. Can oh, yeah. Can you talk about how, I mean, yeah, the relationship Yeah, he, he really there? loved that house. When he came back uh, to Newton, that was one of the things he wanted. He always wanted that house, and he knew the people that lived there and everything, and he had gone to see him over and over again and kept telling him how much he wanted the house. and. He really had to battle to get it because I think some other heirs and all were trying to get the house. But mm. the older man that owned it, I think his name was Atkinson, but I'm not sure of that. But I think that's right. And I think he had given Gandhi his word that he would sell him the house. And so he somehow Gandhi was able to get the house. But he loved that house and, you know, loved to furnish it. He had all kind of arrowheads and Indian artifacts and things like oh. that. And he had them all displayed there. And, of course, lots of wildlife, game and things that he'd had mounted and all. So very unusual plus he had a lot of antiques and things that furnished it and uh it was really an unusual house and one of the back rooms as we became more and more duck hunters he turned into a duck cleaning room and uh he had uh, washing machine motors that we had uh like nipples on them and you'd put a duck down there and those nipples would turn around real fast and they knock the feathers off of them so we could get the feathers off of a duck and you clean oh, wow. them real quick and you get the feathers off of them bad news was those feathers went everywhere so the whole room was just covered in feathers and just a total mess and of course you go to uh, clean them and everything you would get blood and guts everywhere yeah. and it was just unbelievable and that was inside his house that we were doing all that another thing that i remember one day we in there and he had a shotgun and he had these fishing rods lined up on uh the wall they were you know hanging there uh, appropriately and everything well, he wasn't sure he unloaded his gun, so he pulled up his gun and aimed at the fishing rod and shot it. Well, the thing was loaded, and it blew a hole in the wall and shot the tip off his, uh, his, his rod and reel. I mean, that's just how bizarre it was. You just never knew what he was going to do next. And, uh, you know, so it's just crazy. Well, one thing Joel talked about was when he decided he was going to live outside. Right. And I think he got, like, a, a tent for maybe costco or bj's or something like that right a hospital bed and a small right. fridge right what, what what spurred that i think gandy went through a real depression and it's sad i think he was diagnosed as being bipolar so yeah. it wasn't all his fault i think it was some chemical imbalance sure. and things like that that were there too but he was just really strange and he got really low and i think he went to africa with joel on a mission trip mm-hmm. and and while he was over there he told me that it really d- d- just you know came home to him how little he had done with so much and how happy and all those kids do with nothing. And he just felt like that he had just kind of blown his life. And um, I think he wanted to just get away from everything, go back to the basics. Mm -hmm. He also had a friend named Sterling Holbrook, who was quite a character in his own uh, rights. But Sterling kind of did that same thing over in Alabama. He got tired. He was was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam and, of course, went through just – terrible things in vietnam and i think it really um stressed sterling out and so he went to the woods just really went back to basics he made his own bow and arrow out of an orange osage mm-hmm. tree uh, made his own arrows uh you know made the own arrowheads he actually chipped them out of the flint um uh, and just went back to the basics yeah. and i think that influenced uh gandhi as well but it was part of his depression i think that uh he wanted to get away from everything and to get back to basics yeah that was one thing that I, the several people that i've talked to have said about it said that trip 
really just – I mean, he came back, and I think that they said that was the first time he'd ever experienced just that kind of poverty. That's right. Where, I mean, our poverty is right. nothing Nothing like, compared oh, to yeah. Africa. That's and right. said he – I think that gave him a lot Those of Those people had nothing, living on dirt yeah. floors and all of that and, you know, struggling to survive. And, yeah. And he realized that, you know, how in America how we do so little with so much and how they're happy with nothing. Yeah. And, and uh, I think it really – hit home with him yeah wow that's that was interesting um and i don't know if you knew anything about this or not but um a friend of mine was talking about a trip that he took with uh jeff morgan mm-hmm. to miami mm-hmm. and they, it was regarding a shark mm-hmm. did you hear about that i didn't hear about that one jeff might could tell you more about that one okay. there's also stories about uh indianapolis 500 he went up there for years with walker horn to the indianapolis 500 and Gandy told me some of the stories, and most of those we can't tell. Yeah. But uh, Mark Knox, I think, went with him on some of those, and there's probably somebody else out there that went with him to some of those. I know Walker and Gandy went for probably 10 or 12 years, something like that. Yeah. They'd be there at the end of the 500 race, and just thousands of people there and everything. And uh, somehow Walker got passes where they could drive into the pit, and so they'd be right down there on the ground floor and with all the celebrities yeah. and everybody else. And another thing, Gandy had, was a deputy sheriff, and uh, he kept a badge in his uh, wallet. And any time he gets stopped or anything, he just flip open that wallet and show He's him deputized. his badge. And he he most of the time get out of it, you know, get out of the thing. And of course, <laughs> you know, he made uh, fun of everybody else with nicknames, but his name was really a nickname. His real name was, uh, I think, Clifford Banks Glover, yeah. Jr. And um, so, but they called him Gandy, and I think that came from his daddy. His daddy had real olive skin, and I think when he was younger, people called him Gandhi, like the Indian Gandhi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it picked up and Gandhi got it, but his was Gandhi, G-A-N-D-Y, wow. rather than Gandhi. <laughs> but uh, he liked to make fun of everybody else's, you know, with nicknames, and then he he was really a nickname. But it fit him, yeah. uh, you know, gave him a real character. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He told me about one time he was coming through Whitesburg, and Whitesburg used to be notorious for uh, a speed trap. Mm-hmm. And they pulled him over and everything, and he flipped out his wallet and showed him the badge and everything. And he said the deputy told him, said, Clifford, you knew I was going to pull you over. Now, why did you do that? <laughs> you know. And uh, so he just went on being Clifford. In that case, he didn't ever tell him who he really was. He just let him think he was Clifford because the guy looked at his driver's license, and that's what was on it was yeah, Clifford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so again, he thought he got away with that one because he didn't tell him what his real name was. Man, that is something else. Now, when when he would go fishing around here, where were some of the? I know we talked about the river. Where else? Wins Pond was another place he liked to fish. His family had a cabin out there, and of course, a lot of the Newland families have cabins out there. When we were growing up, that was a great place to go. We'd spend the night out there, have bonfires, and fish all night. Set trot lines for catfish and fish them all night, and that sort of thing. And he was into a lot of that and that sort of thing. Uh, But he loved loved that uh, Wins Pond, but. The river is one of the places he really liked to, to go as well. And um, another uh, story I'll tell you is that he and, um, let me think of the guy's name, Arnold Wright. Arnold Wright was a gentleman uh, around town, and uh, I think he was William Banks' um, uh, maybe uncle. Uh, I'm not sure. I think his mother may have been a Wright. But anyhow, somehow I think they were kin to Donald Banks and uh, William. But Anyway, Arnold Wright was quite a character, and they went out to, uh, fishing on uh, Corinth Road out to Dr. Jim Arnold's uh, pond. He had a pond out there, 
As it turns out, though, the road had gotten really bad, and they were just barely able to get back to the lake, even in Gandhi's four-wheel drive Cadillac, yeah. to, to get back there to fish and like to tow the car up, you know, going in and out and everything. And they had a good fishing trip and everything, and they were coming back into town. And uh, Dr. Jim Arnold lived there on LaGrange Street on the corner, and big colonial home, and and uh, he was having to be walking along the street there, and Arnold told him to pull over. And Gandhi pulled right over there, and wasn't much traffic back in those days, and they rolled down the window, and Jim Arnold comes up there, and Gandy thought Arnold was fixing to thank him for letting us, you know, go fishing out there. And, and uh, uh, when Jim, Dr. Arnold looked into the window, Arnold said, Jim, if you don't fix that GD road, we ain't coming back fishing at your place anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Gandy was just kind of horrified. <laughs> a lot of stories about uh all right and Gandy, they did a lot of things together because they were neighbors. He lived over there on uh, College Street, one of the old College Temple houses, mm-hmm. and backed up to Kellogg Street. And of course, Gandy lived on Kellogg in corner Kellogg and Temple. So they, they, that was another one of his neighbors. A lot of funny stories with them too. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. If it, we've told so many stories, and like I say, some, I don't know whether I've told some of these stories before you didn't repeat you know? a single one today yeah well so I mean, that, that was that'll give bad. you some more to think about and i'm sure that <laughs> lots of more and there's lots more people that know a lot more stories too uh, yeah so i hope they'll come forward because in my mind this is a celebration of gandhi and the fact that he was such a character and that he did have so much um you know influence and uh, interaction with different people in town and everybody knew as a character and you just never knew what to expect uh, most of the time it was a lot of fun sometimes it'd be real embarrassing but <laughs> most of the time it was a lot of fun and like I say when you went out with Gandhi you had no idea uh, what you were going to do or what was going to happen or whether you are going to get back yeah. or not so that was you know, part of the it draw. made it very interesting yeah that's why you go <laughs> that's right alright well thank you again for coming I, thank I, you Clay I we enjoyed it, it. Thank appreciate you. it alright All right. <laughs> well there you have it more tales of Gandhi adventures as told by Mr. Frank Barron and as stated earlier, we have several more episodes lined up with more friends of Gandhi, so I hope you stay tuned. That's it for today's episode of Mover Shakers and History Makers, and we certainly hope you come back for more. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, and also be sure to visit our sponsor, Ace Beer Growlers, your source for rockwood lump charcoal, cast iron skillets from Smithy Ironware, along with a variety of beers, wines, rubs, and cigars. Be sure to mention promo code PODCAST and get $5 off any purchase or $50 in the store. Be sure to visit their location on West Court Square next to Piedmont Noonan Gym. Hey, thanks again for listening, and we hope to catch you again next time. So long. <laughs>